Hello, Regeneration. We will be wrapping up chapter one today of Ephesians, and then, as Stephanie mentioned, we'll be starting our Advent series next week, uh, entitled Names of Jesus. Um, these last few verses here are very fitting before we actually head into Advent. It uh, tells us who Jesus is. Let me read these three verses for us, starting in verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I hope this, these three verses here help us frame who we are worshiping, who we are giving praise to this Advent season as we honor our Lord and King Jesus. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. And um, we were in Ephesus in 2006. We, we've been there other times too, but uh, I have a, f a friend named John who, who filmed some footage of us in Ephesus on his Super 8 film that I wanted to share with you. It's a little bit of nostalgia. As some, you might recognize some people from Regeneration in this video. So this is Ephesus there, and hopefully it comes a little bit clearer for you, but that's Sherry Wong, or now Sherry Sharp. But this is the facade of the Library of Celsus uh, there in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a very, very prominent city um, back in ancient Greek times as well as in the Roman Empire. Um, there is a couple that is walking up with a baby right there. That's Katie and Isabella, who is only a few months old at that time. And there's our group that this is in the amphitheater there. This is where they worshipped Artemis or Diana. Um, you can read all about it in Acts 19. This is where they were shouting... Uh, against Paul and against the Christians who they felt were taking away from their business. That was Ephesus. Very, very wealthy city. A really important harbor city uh, back in the Greek world as well as uh, when the Roman Empire took over. And a, a lot of the trading happened uh, through this major harbor city that was throughout Asia. It was very central in Asia. And a lot of the commerce that happened had to, had to happen through this port. So it was a, a very, very important, significant city and where people would exchange ideas, where people would exchange spiritual practices, and it made for a lot of superstitious, superstitious beliefs to happen and to be exchanged there. But what it was mainly known for in terms of worship was the worship of Artemis. And you can, again, read all about that uh, during Paul's stay in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And Paul was there for quite some time, a very challenging place for, for Paul, but, but Paul and the Christians there did some really, really amazing things. Uh, you saw on the film the library of, of Celsus. It has a rep repository of over 12,000 scrolls there. It was one of the most impressive public libraries in, in the, all of the Roman Empire. It made Ephesus this, this center of learning. 
And the Ephesians really valued knowledge. They, they valued learning. And some of them uh, moved from this pagan knowledge and this occult learning to learning about Jesus. And so you could take a look at this in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 19. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so just imagine the surprise of all the people in the city there. Because the library was just right across the way from that large amphitheater. And these are people who valued money a lot. This is the center of commerce. This is the center of trade. And so when we're thinking about 50,000 pieces of silver worth that was burned, it is estimated to be about $1 to $5 million in today's money. And these people had a tendency to be superstitious and they, they got caught up in paganism and, and the occult. But it's, it's much like Christians today who aren't all that concerned with material things, some of them, and some of them who aren't all that caught up with what everyone else believes in. Because as Christians, we know that we're holy. We're set apart for God's purpose, God's will. Now, some of what we value and believe in is in the minority. To think that what we value and believe will be what the majority of the world believes is just simply not always true. And even though what we believe is true, Jesus, who he is, what he has done is true, even though many in the world don't believe it to be, Paul knew what the Christians in Ephesus were going through. That this was a minority group of people who were not looked upon very favorably because they didn't value, they didn't believe what the majority of the Ephesians valued and believed in. And so this is why he wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Paul knew. He knew that they lived in this really challenging environment to their faith. That it was a hostile place toward their faith. And it wasn't hostile towards their political views or their social activism or lack thereof or their civic participation or their lack thereof. God didn't send someone like Paul into Ephesus to address those things to change their laws or to take some action. No, Paul emphasized that they needed to know the truth of the gospel. And who they really needed to know is Jesus. We need to know all that we have in Jesus Christ. What we have now, what we will have in everlasting. To know, verse 18, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What we need more than anything else is to be made aware of the reality and truth of Jesus Christ. To know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. We, we know that God was here before anything. 
that we're going through right now. That God is eternal. That God has seen everything. He's seen it all. And it has all passed. And yet God is still here. He, he has witnessed all the injustices throughout history. And God will witness it well after all of us are gone. So it brings to question who we think we are and how important we think we are. Because what can be more important than our relationship to an eternal, almighty God who has seen all of it, everything? And God can change it all to make everything right, so why doesn't he? Because it's all about you. God wants to commune with you. You are the most important person to God. And while we get preoccupied with things that are around us, that are happening around us, that can actually pull our eyes off of God, God never takes his eyes off of you. He's always watching you. And Jesus Christ is who matters because there's no other way to commune with this loving God. You and I can attempt to solve societal problems, to solve moral problems, and, and maybe we do and maybe we don't, but what does that actually do to your relationship with God? Because if it draws you closer to God, that's really good. But it's not so good if it doesn't. And yet how many people focus on the things of life that seem to be good but they're not any closer to God. Which then raises the question about what we really think about God. Is God really good and all-loving? Is God really all-powerful? Is God really all-knowing? And if you don't believe those things about God, then it is understandable to be consumed with the things of the world because you don't have God. So then there's a deeper question that has to be dealt with, and it's whether God is really God. Is God really in control? Do you really believe, verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Some people may be experiencing financial issues right now, relationship issues, health issues, whatever personal issues there are. Do you know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Or you might be concerned with the things happening around you, with injustice, with environment, with politics. But do you know the greatness of God's power to us who believe? The Bible is not saying that all of those worthwhile issues and causes are insignificant. They are very significant. And, and we have a part in making things better, to mourn with those who mourn, to comfort people, to be peacemakers, to serve people, to, to be good stewards. But you notice Paul's prayer isn't for any specific issue or specific cause or event going on in the lives of people or in their communities. He prays that God, verse 17, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Paul points us to God's immeasurable greatness in resurrecting Christ from the dead, verse 20. 
And so why are we directed towards Jesus' resurrection time and time again? Because we need to be reminded he's alive. That he has conquered death. He's victorious over death. That what that eternal plan that the triune God made is finished. It's done. That Jesus is our hope. That people's hope is not in you or in me and what we do, but it's in Jesus. Next week, we kick off our Advent series. And what is Advent? This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about Advent. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. You see, Advent is a time for the church to put a marker on our present time and and to observe our current circumstances within these last days. These last days meaning since Christ died, resurrected, and ascended until his return. These are the last days. And so we look back 2,000 years celebrating Christ's first coming, while we are eagerly looking forward to Christ's second coming when he returns for his people. And it's a time like this during the Advent season that we sing hymns like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, which means, the name means God with us. And that hymn continues on with, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And so Jesus came 2,000 years ago, died, resurrected, ascended, and Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready? God's divine plan was to sent his only begotten son who was born of a virgin. This, this baby laid in a manger, most likely hewn out of stone. He was raised by his teenage mother, Mary, and he was apprenticed under his father, Joseph, to learn carpentry. And by the time he's 12 years old, he's starting to have these pretty complex religious conversations with leaders in the temple. And much of his life is told to us through the Gospels, but not everything, because John wrote in John chapter 21, verse 25, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And then there was Paul in Ephesus with the library of Celsus right there. With all that knowledge in that library, and being a learned man himself. Paul didn't go about talking on other things, but he preached Christ crucified. What's the message of Christians today? It's supposed to be Christ crucified. But there are so many other messages being preached by Christians. Have we been, referring back to verses 17 and 18, given the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us? 
do we know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance? Verse 18. Do we, verses 19 and 20, know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? See, we, we need to know these things. We need to experience, live these things. We need to know who Jesus Christ is. Who, who is Jesus Christ? Which brings us to our verses this morning. Jesus Christ, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Far above. Nothing even comes close. And so those very defined things in life that are signs of death, sin, all those things that seem like a, a permanent loss. There's nothing above Jesus. Nothing. And as the Ephesians read this, they thought, wait a minute. You're talking about even the Roman Empire? The ones who took over the Greeks and are now occupying this harbor city and taxing all of us and taking all that money and building up their military? You mean even them? And Paul is like, yes. All rule. All authority. All power. All dominion. Far above all. And, you know, sometimes people wonder, how did Jesus do miracles? How did he do what he did? He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. So when you look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, and the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? He's the one far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He changes water to wine. He, he walks on water. He raises the dead. He gives sight to the blind. He heals the lame. All signs of who he is above all. He's king. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And yet the world questions who Jesus is when we should actually be asking ourselves, Who are we? Who are we? What authority do we have? What rule do we have? He has all authority. And he's above every other name that is named, continuing on in verse 21, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so this would have struck a chord with the Ephesians because Artemis was the name above every name in Ephesus. There's, there's this amphitheater built for the worship of Artemis. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 34, Luke recorded that the Ephesians cried out with one voice for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so, who are the gods people worship today? The name of Jesus is above every other name, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. People aren't worshiping Artemis anymore. 
and the name of Jesus is still being worshipped. We need to know who Jesus Christ is, verse 21, and we need to know who the church is, verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The Lord Jesus is the head over the church, and the church, the people of God, are the body of Christ. The body of Christ, the church, shares in Jesus Christ's victory and is empowered by Christ. We are guided by the word of Christ. Jesus is the head, and as believers in Jesus, do we really believe Jesus to be the head? Do we believe him to be in control? Do we trust him? The way that people act and what people say and what they write and what they communicate, it has to make me wonder where their trust is sometimes. It makes me wonder who their head is. Because sometimes I just kind of wonder, is it themselves? Hebrews chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 reads, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus is in control. The devil has been defeated through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And yes, there is darkness that is still present with us. There is still this spiritual warfare. But we know the end of the story. Even though we are experiencing it now in the last days, we know the end. And we don't see everything in subjection to him just yet. But we will. And in the meantime, in these last days, we know Jesus. And we need to fix our gaze on Jesus, we, we get ourselves into trouble when we take our eyes off of Jesus. We, we, we start getting distracted by other things, pulling us away from Christ when we actually need to draw closer to Christ, to be with Christ, to be in communion with Christ. And you notice we haven't been told to do anything yet. We're, we're still in chapter 1, and this is what we need. Chapter 1 is what we need, but, but people want to get busy with themselves. They want to take action on things. They want to be a Martha when there's a need to be Mary. To simply sit at Jesus' feet and to be in his presence. People looking for that something else when we have Jesus right in front of us. And those other things can be really important. It was important for Martha to be hospitable for her to be diligent, for her to look at serving. But it's not the most important. The most important is being in the presence of Jesus. Being with Christ is the most important. And unless we know who Christ is, we'll keep getting pulled in different directions to get busy, to do something, to have our gaze not fixed upon Jesus, the head of the church. 
He's the one who guides us. He's the one that has authority over all things, including our country, our state, our county, our city. We, we do render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we don't yield to Caesar when it contradicts Christ. And there are times to submit to government, but as Peter instructed in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. And when that time comes, we need to obey God. He's the head. He's the authority. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And it's being reiterated in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, with the fullness of him who fills all in all. That Christ is supreme. He is the head of the church. He is the authority of all things. So, if this is the case, why are so many Christians so frantic about what's happening in the world? When our only hope of our sins being forgiven is in Jesus Christ, it's only Christ. And, and yours, your, that salvation is yours. We need to share that. What, what better news is there than that? He died so that he'd have victory over sin so that you and I can be given this gracious, generous opportunity to commune with God, to be in God's presence, to be washed clean of our sin, forgiven of everything that separates us from God. No one else does that for you. No one else has beaten death, conquered it, is victorious over it. We have really good news to share, but so few do. We have the ultimate security in Christ, but many Christians actually don't share Christ. They share other things. Many Christians tend to share their works or their beliefs or their values and ideas and philosophies, but they don't share the person, the God, the Savior, Christ. When Christ is the most valuable good news for us to share, and yet that's not the piece we're sharing. We're sharing all the other stuff. The most valuable thing we can possibly do is share Christ and who He is. It's not what we do. It's not what we're saying. The function of faith is to share the supremacy of Christ. Think about this. There are millions upon millions of non-believers who can do, take action of what Christians want other Christians to do. Millions upon millions. But there are only Christians who can share the faith of Christ and Him crucified. You're the only group that can do that. And when you do that, you can guarantee that spiritual darkness will fight back. It takes faith to share Christ. It takes faith to believe in Christ. And when we're secure in the rule, authority, power, and dominion of Christ, it doesn't mean we won't experience pain, suffering, injustice, sorrow. 
That is just proof of things yet to come. And we continue to live in faith knowing that God is in control. The same God who sent Jesus 2,000 years ago to die for our sins, resurrect from the dead, and ascend to the right hand of the Father. The same God who is behind the return of Christ. There are so many mysteries as to why the world continues the way it does. I, I don't know. I don't know why we're experiencing this pandemic the injustices we've experienced, the political turmoil, all these different things. This year has definitely been strange. But it doesn't change how believers in Christ are to keep our faith and hope in Christ, knowing who Jesus Christ is. Think about when you've drawn closest to God. Has it been when things have been going really, really well for you? Or does it tend to be when things aren't going so well? And when have you cried out to God most desperately? The world needs Jesus. And Christ is waiting with open arms to welcome people in his love, to welcome them in his grace. You and I are bearers of that good news. And as we enter into this Advent season, I pray for boldness that we share Christ. We're going to be taking a, a little break from the book of Ephesians, but I think verses 21 through 23 sharing with us how God is in control and he's above all. And then as we look at the different names of Jesus in these next four weeks before we start our Ephesians series up again in chapter 2. I pray that we were able to share Christ boldly. Our Lord and Savior, let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a strange year it has been. And yet your good news has not changed. It's the same good news it always has been. That you desire to commune with your creation. Lord, may we not get caught up in the things of a normal Christmas. Or a normal Thanksgiving. And I don't think it can be. Things have changed a lot. And Lord, we have faith that you are using this for your glory and for your honor. I pray, God, that more people come to know you, even through this really strange time when things aren't normal. But that, God, that their faith is in you, Christ Jesus. Please empower your church to accomplish your purpose, to do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take communion together. Um, first we'll have the bread symbolizing the broken body of Christ. Paul pointing us to the resurrection and yet Advent is, is what we're celebrating in this coming season. 
Advent celebrating Christ's first coming 2,000 years ago, and then we are yet awaiting his return. But there's a promise, and this is why we take this regularly until his return. And so may we take this in celebration and remembrance in the promise of Christ. And we have this symbolism in the fruit of the vine as the blood of Christ spilled for us. Very costly price, but also showing us the victory he had over death as he did resurrect three days later and ascended to the right hand of the Father as we wait for his return. And we take this in remembrance of him until his return. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these elements, this sacrament to help us to remember, to help us to readjust our gaze on you and to fix our gaze on you. May we not be pulled away from you, Lord, but draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.